You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. I'm Troy Singer. And I'm Bart Taylor. And today we talk to Ken Sigler, who is the Director of Enrollment Management at Mount Carmel College of Nursing in Columbus, Ohio. And I think we're going to name this, Bart, Higher Education Exposed, Challenging Misconceptions and Unveiling Opportunities. And from our very first conversation with Ken we knew that he would be an excellent person for us to have a conversation like this with. Yeah, I, I love the conversation. And it's, it reminds me, I just did another presentation for an upcoming uh, event. And the idea of myths and truths, the idea of understanding and being able to communicate, you know, there, there's a lot of myth, uh, misunderstandings out there about higher education. And we get into it, and Ken does a great job of unpacking those. But then we also need to kind of have on the other side, how are we going to then you know, challenge those misconceptions? How are we going to present those truths out there? And so Ken does a great job of kind of walking through that with us and his vast knowledge of, of experience, not only in the, in the big chair of higher education, but also on the consulting side as well. So he brings a rich knowledge to that. And, and I think it's, uh, it's going to be one of those episodes that I think is going to be valuable. And when we have valuable episodes like this, it's always important for us to encourage you to leave a review or you know, hit the stars on the on the uh, podcast ratings because that helps us get the the uh, show discovered by other professionals in higher education. Which, at the end of the day, that's our goal is to really level up everybody's game. And so, ho hopefully, you can help us by doing those simple things. Thank you, Bart. Here's our conversation with Ken Sigler. Ken, as you probably know, we love kicking off our episodes by asking our guests to share something that they've learned recently that they would think fell into the fun or interesting category for our listeners. So you are up. Do you have anything that you can share? <laughs> All right. What I'll share, I was at the Biltmore House in Asheville, North Carolina, a few weeks ago, used to, used to reside there and have been to the Biltmore House many times. And I always pick up something new when you tour the, when you tour the home. And so a couple of the stats that really stuck out to me that are kind of hard to visualize. So this place was built in the late 1800s and the, you know, there's 22 homes on the property there, but the, but the house itself, the estate itself, the foundation is 29 feet deep. I mean, wow. can you imagine having a basement 29 feet deep and the width of the, of the walls around the foundation are 14 feet thick. So, I mean, just an absolute, you know, and they, obviously they, they put in a rail road to bring in the supplies to actually build the house, a uh, nice little summer chateau <laughs> for the Vanderbilts. So just really Always fascinates me to to learn some things and what they were able to do so long ago. That's so. incredible. Everyone, you're talking to Ken Sigler, and 
He is the director of enrollment management at Mount Carmel College of Nursing. Now, that's what he's best known for right now. But the reason why we wanted to have a conversation with him is because of his background. He, I believe, started on a campus, then went to the consulting world, went back to campus with a little sprinkle of consulting still in the midst. So if you would, Ken, to help set up our conversation, uh, hopefully that was accurate. If you can just give everyone a little bit about your background. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I often tell people that when I graduated as an undergraduate, I never really left college. So <laughs> I've been working in higher ed since I was an undergrad myself. And I also like to mention that my marriage survived the first five years of living in an all-male residence hall. That was a note to self that I think she might be a keeper because she, she stuck around <laughs> with all the, all the craziness that that entailed. But I kind of worked my way through through admissions and enrollment, having started on the student life side, and just really um, resonated with and sort of really gained a, gained a heart for and a passion for the value of higher education and specifically for those first-generation students in particular. And so really tried to focus my work as I got into enrollment around that, uh, that particular group. So I've served in a number of different enrollment capacities, both at large state universities and at small private colleges. Uh, as you mentioned, went to, uh, went to the other side for a little bit and did some consulting, which really was, was a fantastic experience because it gave me a glimpse inside of institutions all over the country and how they do this similar work. So that I've met some amazing people during that time. But just felt the pull to, to get back and uh, get back to a place where I'm engaging with students on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, so that's, that's where I end up. I've always tried to also keep a foot in the door with teaching. And so uh, I teach a, an online course and then a lot of times have taught like a freshman seminar course, things of that nature. I love to be able to engage with students at that level as well. So, great. Thank you, Ken. And because of that background, and what you bring as far as wonderful conversation and expertise, which our listeners are going to witness here in a few minutes, you agreed to come onto the podcast and have a fun and sometimes challenging conversation around challenging misconceptions and unveiling opportunities currently within higher ed. And if you are ready, I'm going to take you into the challenging part of our conversation in regards to the myths and the misconceptions around higher ed right now, especially around young people that are juniors and seniors. So if you would, from your perspective, shed some light on the myth of selective college admissions and how it's currently shaping family perceptions about higher ed and the opportunities for some of the uh, first time or first generation students that you are very fond of and that you work on the behalf of. Yeah, so I appreciate that. This is definitely a topic that interests me quite a bit. I work with a lot of students and families in my capacity here at the college, but also uh, in my consulting and college planning that I do as well. And the level of stress and anxiety uh, surrounding uh, the college search and the college application process uh, seems to be at an all-time high. And I think if you 
follow uh, news stories and you follow what's happening in social media and some of the messaging that's that's surrounding this topic, you can you can understand why. Because basically, if you're a senior and you haven't already applied by November 1st, you might as well not even worry about going to college because it's just <laughs> not an option for you anymore because you, you, you miss the, the early action or the early deadlines. And so, you know, you're done. And so there, there's, there's a real need to, I, I think, educate and in some ways sort of just bring some peace and some calm to the, to the, and really bring it back to what we're doing in the first place, which is trying to develop young adults so that they, you know, can pursue their passions and also be contributors to our society. That's in a nutshell, I think, at least from my perspective, what we're trying to do. And instead, I feel like it's, it's got a little bit of a different direction. I think you're right on that, Ken. I've noticed many times in that, I, I mean, my family even kind of fell a little bit into that, even with all that I know, is just the idea that, you know, you, you get the, profe- the, pre- the pressure. You see the marketing messages that talk about early action, and, and they are marketing messages. And, and if your school isn't using those marketing messages, urgency is a nice tool to use for uh, converting. And, and that's certainly good. But I think sometimes it's not so much the marketing tactics that I think are adding to that. I think it has more to do with the media and a lot of the idea that colleges are elitist and that somehow, you know, it's only for the certain chosen and that it's really difficult to get in. Whereas I think a lot of schools that are listening to this and saying, boy, <laughs> we're not being elitist. We would love to have you come to our school <laughs> to, to boost our enrollment for the fall. And so I, I think that those, I think you're right on, you're spot on to that. And I think that some of that has to do with really being able to understand what your school's mission is and then finding the students that are going to be best served by your mission that is that good mission fit. How do you kind of see that in, in what you've experienced along the way, Ken? Yeah, when you, when you peel back sort of the onion on this thing, you know, we're, we're talking about, so Pew, Pew Research has done a lot of work in this area. They found that 6% of current college students attend an institution with an acceptance rate of 25% or less. Another 10% attend an institution with an acceptance rate between 25 and 50. So we're talking about 16% that are attending somewhere between 50 and, you know, five or four, however low it goes, we're ignoring the other 84%. Right. Um, and, you know, that doesn't even mention the 40 million adults out there that have some college credit, but no degree. 40 million people is about the population of California. So we, ha- we have a lot of individuals that need higher education that are sort of steered away from it. And a lot of right. times it's our own fault in how we message and, and what we, you know, what we present to students about, about their opportunities around that. I think it's such a great point. And I, I totally agree with you that we, I think that as a whole, higher education could do a better job of messaging as an industry. I, I see that, you know, there's, there's been a lot of messaging out there. I, I can't remember the campaign, but I saw one recently that was just the idea of, I mean, 
I see Home Depot kind of going the trade routes and they're trying mm -hmm. to push trade schools. Mm -hmm. There's other ones that are kind of trying to push other ones. I think that as we kind of go through uh, the next few years, I think we're going to have a lot more corporations that are trying to do more education, uh, you know, and get into the space. And so I think that as a whole, traditional higher ed needs to have our own message that we can kind of, that we can help people understand. I mean, just the return on investment alone for a traditional undergrad degree is an amazing life investment. Yeah. And I think those intangibles also kind of get lost in that. So, yeah. Well, Ken, let's go back to the stress and anxiety that you mentioned earlier. And how do you think the misconceptions about college selectivity contribute to that stress and anxiety among families and what can be done to alleviate it? Yeah, so I think I think part of it is coming together and collaborating in higher ed and just sort of in some senses having a louder voice and helping more students, reaching more students with the messaging that that this is attainable and you don't necessarily have to go through the you know, early action or early decision opportunity. And that there are, you know, I, I found this a lot when I was consulting. There were so many really solid institutions that provided quality education that needed students. And, you know, they were accepting, fully accepting uh, applications and still had scholarships available in June. Now, I'm not advocating for anybody to wait till then. There's obviously a, sure. a nice medium, but there are a lot of similar institutions like that. And so I think I think part of it is kind of a broader view of how higher ed and again, uh, independent and state universities, how they message. But I think it can also be done at the grassroots. We, you know, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and there are some fantastic associations and nonprofits that are in the public schools and really just walking alongside these students and helping them through uh, the process. And I think supporting more of the work uh, like that, that's already being done. I don't think we need to create the wheel. I think there just needs to be greater support for some of those organizations that are, that are already doing. I think you're right, Ken. And I think that even Let's say that our school does get involved with those organizations. We are helping with that and we're doing those things. I do think there are some things that we can do pragmatically, even on our website, in just the way that we present affordability, the way we present, uh, you know, because, I mean, everybody knows in higher education, we all know about tuition discount. We know discounting, what that is. And we know that the sticker price isn't what you're going to pay. The world doesn't know that. And so I always tell my clients, it's like, Let's go to your tuition page and look at it. And if it's just copied right out of your catalog or copied right out of the, the business office, we got a problem because, I mean, you know, it's, there's an there's a incongruence with what they see on Google from the iPads data that says, you know, it's going to cost you 18005 to go here after aid. And then when I go to the tuition page, I see it listed at thirty nine five for tuition. You know, I, I always imagine, I tell my clients, imagine dad is standing over the shoulder of his daughter she pulls up the page, they go to the tuition page. He's like, let's move on to the next school. Let's see what else there is. And I think that happens every day. And I don't think we're doing enough as institutions to be able to present, you know, we, we complain about it, but we don't do enough to actually, you know, steer our marketing, steer our communications into what we're saying to actually make an impact even for the students who are considering our schools. So what, what do you think about that? I mean, is that something that you, that you're coming across? 
Yeah, quite a bit, especially on the especially on the private side. Obviously, that's where a lot of the the discounting right, uh, right. happens. And so I think that transparency on the website and from the very beginning to understand uh, this is what students on average actually pay to attend here. Uh, and then in addition to that, go the step further. And this is how many uh, of our students rely on uh, federal loans and even go into subsidized and unsubsidized uh, and, that, and those sorts of things. So I think being getting rid of that sticker price and just going straight to, you know, here's here's basically the average of what our students pay. But I think it also involves uh, financial literacy. And we are seeing financial literacy pop up more and more as part of these first year and even second year transition programs. But I think the financial literacy is a huge part of it. So when they do finish their degree and we're doing that exit interview, it's not the first time that they're hearing or thinking about loan repayments. And so as you have conversations over four or five years, what that looks like, it becomes a lot less scary and you can actually strategically plan for it and not have it, you know, in six months now, I'm going to be hit pretty hard with these repayment plan. So I think it, I think it's both messaging, but it's also education. Yeah, I think that's great. Ken, I also think we can consider it a misconception that students who don't have grades or all A's and B's can't go to college. And for the young people that believe that, if you could discuss the opportunities for those students and, um, what you would counsel the people that you consult with on how to get into college when their grades aren't as good as they feel they could be. Yeah. So I, I usually begin with the, the requirement here is that there is some sort of post-secondary education. You're going to need education and training beyond high school, regardless of what you're getting into. Right. So we kind of we kind of start there so they don't feel like I'm already locked into this sort of traditional four year on campus um, sort of sort of path. And then once we establish that there, there are a lot of different opportunities for students uh, to get into from different uh, technical colleges to community colleges to apprenticeships. But there's also a lot of four-year institutions that have, um, you know, not as selective admissions. Uh, I've had some really good experience uh, with some regional campuses for larger uh, state universities. Typically, if it's part of a land grant, uh, even though the main campus could be very selective, typically uh, open admissions uh, is the criteria for the for the regional campuses, which uh, for those in the audience that might not be familiar, um, if you've got a high school diploma, you're able to to enroll there. And so I think there's a lot more opportunities like that that kind of allow students to sort of get their feet wet because it's also difficult for a student to kind of understand what this whole college going thing is going to be like. Uh, and regardless of whether you're the valedictorian or whether you're pulling in a two six time management is going to be probably one of your biggest challenges. So really talking through students from that perspective as well to help them understand just on a day-to-day basis, you can do this. And there is a fit, I believe, 
for every different type of student. We have that many different types of institutions. And so it's really just helping them find the best fit and trying to sort of just ignore some of that noise about rankings and all the early deadlines and things of that nature if that's not if that's not where they fit. Yeah. And I think, again, that goes back to the messaging that we can do as higher ed marketers is that to understand that there's a, a, a lot of different personas that we're presenting our information to from a messaging standpoint. And certain parts of the website might have slightly different messaging along those lines to be able to say, hey, you know, let's talk about this. And so I think that I think that's important for all of us to understand that and understand our audience well enough to be able to say, hey, we are a good fit for these types of students. We are a good fit for we have programs in place that will help them with this and to be able to really uh, message that and, and communicate that well. Ken, another reason why we wanted to have you on the podcast is because of the way that you speak eloquently to the benefits of higher education beyond the degree. So if you could, for our audience, in what ways do you think higher education contributes to either personal or uh, the overall development growth beyond the academic learning? And how can we do a better job of marketing that as higher ed overall? Well, we have a difficult time marketing it, I think, Troy, because we don't have a sense that it's valued anymore. And so um, we sort of shy away from those things. But one of the things that I think is probably valued as much or more than, than anything that you get from a four-year degree is that opportunity to learn and to grow within just having civil discourse. And, and I don't, it doesn't really matter what, what side of the fence you're on. I think we can all agree that uh, additional civil discourse, especially in our country, would be uh, a fantastic add-on because yes. we, we really have the challenge. So, you know, the, the, the richness of a college campus that comes with the diversity and the different thoughts and the different ideologies uh, and the different worldviews um, is it is a fantastic learning environment that's completely in addition to what's happening in the classroom. Uh, and a lot of it does happen outside of the classroom. And there's so much there's so much value to uh, to that, including the engagement of faculty outside of the classroom and getting to understand and get to know some of your some of your faculty as well. So we just for whatever reason, we just really shy away from that. And again, it's because we want to be able to put a dollar figure on this ROI, that right. this degree that costs me this amount of money is going to result in this job that's going to pay me this much. And so we get away from some of the things that we can't specifically put a price tag on. But in some ways, I would say the, the critical learning and the, the, the civil discourse and some of those things are... Are, are in some ways priceless, right? And that the reason we don't have a price tag on them is because their value is so great. It, we're not able to do that. Yeah. I think you bring up a really good point, Ken, because I, I had a chance to uh, speak at a, at a faculty session at my alma mater a couple of weeks ago. It was a second semester faculty session. And uh, I, was, I was speaking on artificial intelligence, surprise, Troy. And one thing, because that is a passion of mine. But one of the things that I communicated with them is that one of the skills that I learned at Anderson University that I am so grateful for was learning how to learn. 
I mean, we talk about the civil discord. We talk about how, you know, I, I, I truly believe that we have a better society that's educated. But one thing that I really took away, especially from my liberal arts education, and I think you can get this at any institution because I think it's, it's now built into the schools, is that idea of critical thinking. It's that idea of developing a desire to learn and the ability to learn, to be able to say, oh, I don't know what that is. I have a toolkit that I know that I can go to, either books, lectures, videos. I know how to learn because that's what was taught to me in higher education. And I think that's something that would be a great way for us to to continue to develop and market that. I mean, how how important do you see that in the way that we should be communicating that about our schools? I think it's I think it's really critical because there are so more and more the positions in the way that we're going. You're you're gonna have to just continue right. to learn. There's not as many professions now that, you know, you can just sort of stick with and, and, and go at the same pace. Things are evolving much more quickly. So not only do you have to have a better understanding of how you learn, but how you can learn, you know, quickly and how you can use the best of your, your resources to be able to, to be able to do it. So especially in, uh, in healthcare, which is where, mm -hmm. which is where I find myself right now. Um, on that side of things is, is we educate and prepare um, healthcare providers that ongoing education is absolutely critical and knowing where to go and knowing what questions uh, to ask and being able to uh, being able to continue to advance career because of uh, that ability. And when you have smaller class sizes and you've got faculty that can really lock arms with you, and that you can learn that as an undergrad, I think there's definitely some advantage. To yeah, I definitely think so as well. That's great. Ken, in the conversation, you and Bart touched on a little bit about discounting and the true cost and value of higher ed. And I would like to kind of go back and dig a little deeper if we can. Um, what challenges do you think that college colleges face communicating the cost and the potential financial aid to prospective students and how can they improve that transparency? Yeah. So I think one of the major challenges is the fact that the cost to operate a college campus continues to increase. And prospective students and their families, understandably, don't, don't really want to hear that, right? <laughs> we, we, we don't want to hear that uh, Amazon is having issues shipping goods and so they're going to have to purchase x amount more like we don't we don't really care about that we just want our product to show up at the door when we right. you know when we ordered it but but the reality is between um you know the cut you know the cut of funding uh from states and from federal and the increased costs that campuses have we have deferred maintenance we have old buildings i mean you look at any traditional college campus uh, probably, you know, somewhere between the mid 1800s, even, you know, even those in the early 1900s, you're going to have a lot of deferred maintenance. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, students uh, have more needs. Right. And so um, especially uh, mental health. Uh, I know there are a lot of institutions that have increased tenfold uh, the amount of counselors on campus to be able to address well, that's an additional cost. I mean, that that's a really heavy, and and it and it's not coming at uh, additional enrollment. It's taking care of the students that you already have. 
And, and I think that just gets, that just gets overlooked. And so I think if there's a way that higher ed could kind of package those costs in a way that our parents and families call them consumers could understand, I think that, I think that would be helpful. I think it is very difficult to try and be transparent in that, uh, you know, they, they sort of understand what your, what your day-to-day expenses are to operate a college. I think what could be beneficial is here's the percentage of our operating budget that we spend on teaching, for instance, right? So we don't have to go so far down the rabbit hole that we're, you know, talking about faculty salaries, but between academic resources and academic success and support systems and teaching on the, you know, here's kind of that portion that we, you know, that we spend. And I, I think something around that w- w- would help families and parents at least know, okay, the money that we are giving is, is going to, in their minds, the right thing. Yeah. I mean, higher education is an industry that is capital intensive and overhead intensive. I mean, no matter how you slice it. And so, um, so I, I agree with you, Ken. I think that there needs to be some, some literacy, but I think that the bigger thing is as we talk about from a marketing standpoint, is again, going back to that messaging of value. We have to, I mean, outcomes are important. And I think that's what a lot of our our prospective students and families, and as you've mentioned, the consumers, they want to understand what's that ROI for my investment. But I think we've got to broaden that conversation of what the ROI is beyond just that salary of the starting, you know, your starting career salary to the lifetime benefit. I I was talking to somebody earlier today, one of my clients, and he picked up something from my blog where we had talked about the idea that if you had an opportunity and I could tell you that, you know, if you buy this lottery ticket, I can guarantee you that you're, you're going to make, you know, a million dollars, you know, and the lottery ticket costs you 25000 or whatever the cost of a four-year education is. Because mm-hmm. statistics now show us that anybody who goes to, through higher education will l- earn an additional million dollars in lifetime um, salary. And so, you know, being able to creatively, I mean, the way I just did it, do not use that. But I mean, <laughs> though, being able to kind of communicate that in our mar- mar- marketing, that this is a lifetime return on your investment. It's not just that first salary that we're talking about. I mean, I look back and, you know, I've been telling my kids what my first salary was in 1992. And they're like, what? But that's the way it was. And that's the way it is. And and that was the way that I built my career. And so, I think it's important that we kind of lean into that value. And I'm sure that's kind of what you're, what you're looking at there at Mount Carmel as well. Yeah, we, the, those student outcome stories are what really resonate with families and parents. And so, you know, we've got one in particular, uh, two, two recent graduates that ended up getting married fairly soon after graduation and have spent the last, uh, two years as travel nurses. So they yeah. literally live, uh, uh, on in a motorhome on the road, and their experiences and the places they've traveled have just been amazing. Yeah. Um, and one of our new uh, pieces of literature has a picture of a recent graduate that still helps out in our admissions office. And uh, you know, she she's always coming in and talking about the opportunities uh, that she has had since graduating and her passion for uh, being in the NICU unit at the hospital. Yeah. And so those are great. Yeah, those stories are so, so important. I love those stories. However, I do feel that we have to still address on the front end the misconceptions of affordability. And uh, 
the availability of yeah. financial aid. So what type of conversations or what do you think we can do as an industry to improve that from a marketing perspective? Well, I think having the conversations earlier rather than later, I think having them all the way through high school, I don't think we need to wait until a student is accepted uh, right. to start talking to them about, uh, about financial aid. Um, so I think that that early conversation is, is really helpful. I think there's also a lot of, um, for lack of better words, I think there's a lot of uh, hidden money out there. And we talk a lot about the, the external scholarships that are available through a number of different local and regional foundations. And, you know, when you talk about dollars and cents, I talk to students about, you know, if, if you spent 30 minutes on a scholarship essay that got you $2,000, you know, what is, that, what is that hourly rate for you? That's pretty <laughs> darn good. So take that extra time to apply and really giving students the tools to search for those scholarships uh, early on as they're preparing for college. And then even once they're in college, that they're continuing to do that because it not only gives them some ownership in it, but it also, again, helps sort of hone those skills as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It does take some intentionality in yeah. the way that we plan to have those conversations. I mean, I'm even in, in, you know, helping so a lot of my clients just work on financial aid literacy brochures and pamphlets that they can pass out at the college fair and, and, and you know, even have those at the high schools, because I think that that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions about, about higher education, as we've talked about earlier. So I think that's a great point. And do you have any thoughts, Ken, about how institutions can better communicate their true value? And that's just beyond the immediate opportunities that they provide as far as career. How can they better market that as they are going out to their future students and getting them to overcome these misconceptions? Yeah, I think, uh, I think, again, a lot of it has to do with helping students understand the number of opportunities that they're going to have, period, with a bachelor's degree. That, you know, they're, they're not going to be nearly as limited with a four-year degree as they would be uh, with no degree. Or, and then once you get in a particular industry, if we're talking, you know, engineering or maybe we're talking health sciences, uh, just really kind of walking them through the steps of, you know, with a bachelor's degree, here's, here's some of your earnings and your career opportunities with a master's degree, with a doctoral degree, you know, here's, here's kind of, you know, the steps you can take so they can see how the additional education will provide right. additional income, but also that longevity of income over a, over a career. So I think it's kind of combining that with a lot of the, a lot of the, um, of the outcomes, uh, that students have. Uh, with the with the recent with the recent graduates and finding a way to really engage those especially young alum with their current uh, students. I think we see alum sort of come back to the table, you know, after 20 plus years of being out in the workforce. And I think a lot of institutions are really trying to make a concerted effort to get those young alum, the, you know, zero to 10 years alum engaged early on with the current college students to really help them make that connection and begin that networking. Yeah, I think that's so critical. I think it's often a missed opportunity to not only rely on alumni for 
donations, but to rely on them for recruitment and enrollment. I think a lot of times that they don't do anything because they haven't been asked. And so I think that, again, it goes back yeah, to Yeah, or they think that the only thing the institution wants is money, is a donation. Exactly. Whereas, you know, how valuable would that mentorship be with a current college student? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, perfect. opportunities. Exactly. Ken, as we bring our conversation to a close, I want to thank you for your graciousness and patience. I realize that this probably came across as an interrogation, but in our initial conversation, <laughs> you had said so many dynamic things that we wanted to make sure we brought back to the episode for everyone to hear. And so even though I just kind of apologize for interrogating you, I have one more question. Sure. <laughs> and, of course. <laughs> and that question is, and we ask it of all of our guests at the end of our interview with them, if there was a piece of advice that you could offer that someone listening could immediately implement that would move the needle for them and their institution in regard to our conversation today, what would that piece of advice be? Good question. I think that we still make too many assumptions and move forward with those uh, assumptions. And so it may sound simplistic, but I, I think we need to continue to to do a better job of, of, of listening. And so if, if you can find an opportunity to better listen uh, to a group of stakeholders, uh, I think that would be uh, the way to go. So if that group of stakeholders are recent alum, uh, if it's current students, if it's students that you admitted uh, that decided to go elsewhere, really putting together some sort of opportunity to engage with those groups and, and just just listen and, and just gather uh, information rather than moving forward and feeling like I, we know what they want or what they expect. Right. I think that can, that can go along, that can go a long way. And I, I'm not saying that from somebody that uh, does it well. It's, it's a good reminder for me too, just to, just to do a better job of, do a better job of listening and allowing, uh, allowing students to, to share those stories. That's great. Love that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ken. Ken Sigler, Director of Enrollment Management at the Carmel College of Nursing. And Ken, can you give us the best way someone could reach you if they would like to do so? Yeah, email, probably best. I can be reached at uh, Kensigler, S as in Sam, I-G-L-E-R, at mccn.edu or at siglerken at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Ken. Very much enjoyed the conversation and very happy with the content that you were able to share. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. This was fun. <laughs> very good. Bart, do you have any final thoughts? I do. I really appreciate Ken being on the show. We brought a lot of wealth of wisdom and, and, and ideas. A couple of things that I just wanted to point out. We talked a lot about uh, kind of the intentionality. In a lot of ways, we talked about, you know, being intentional about the way we're communicating things, about the way they're presenting affordability, about value, about even down to the details of how we present our tuition pages. But I also think that intentionality that Ken talked about at the very end about being intentional and listening. Um, a lot of that is just, you know, he talked about listening to what some people might call focus groups, but it doesn't have to be focus groups. You don't have to hire a marketing agency to come in or a research firm to do some just basic listening 
to just say, hey, I just want to grab a few minutes of your time. I know in one of the episodes, Mary Barr had talked about when she was at Ball State University, during orientation, she would grab a set of students and just, you know, have have a snack with them and say, tell me why you came here. What are you excited about? Um, and And that's just a really valuable way to kind of, whether it's your young alumni, whether it's, you know, during homecoming, whatever it might be, that's going to give you a lot of insight if you can just ask some pointed questions and listen. And so I think that being intentional about those types of things, I think is something that we can all do. Ken, you've really brought some good wisdom today. I really appreciate the time and it's been an honor to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thank you both. Thank you, Bart. And also a big thank you to our producer, Rob Conlon, and his team at Westport Studios, who brings us to you each and every week. The High Red Marketer podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency, and by Ring Digital, the ad targeting people, successfully increasing response and yield by precisely serving ads directly to the handheld and household devices of your physical enrollment funnel mailing list. On behalf of Ken, Bart, and myself, thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time. 